I'm with someone who likes to be alone probably 90% of the time. I'm not joking. Not in a kind of, he needs me, but he is so happy in his own company. It's like he he loves reading. He loves being on his own. And over the years, I've become more used to it. I think at the beginning, I sort of ask, you know, let's watch something together and let's, and we do do that a bit. But what's happened now is that I've retained such incredibly strong friendships because he isn't always saying, hey, let's go here. Let's have these people for dinner. Let's, he's just like, go out. I want to read my book. And I've got such, such incredible friends you know a handful of women that when I'm with them I genuinely feel like I'm a plant that's being watered or something it's like I'm eating superfood just by being with them and um, I feel really lucky actually that I've got I've retained the, the, the strength of friendship from that I've had since my 20s in my life and it hasn't kind of fallen by the wayside because I've gone into a couple and had kids You're listening to The Alonement Podcast, hosted by me, Francesca Spector, author of Alonement, How to Be Alone, and Absolutely Own It. Each week, I interview an inspiring new guest about the time they spend alone and why it matters to them. Ultimately, at the heart of every episode is one central question. What turns solitude into a positive, fulfilling experience? Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. I am so excited to be speaking to this week's guest, Izzy Suti. If, like me, you are a hardcore Peep Show fan, you'll know her very well for her role as Dobby, who appeared in five seasons of the show. She's also a stand-up comedian, appearing on the comedy circuit together with a number of Channel 4 roundtable shows, including QI and 8 out of 10 Cats. In 2021, she published her debut novel, Jane is Trying, about a woman in her 30s whose life is turned upside down, forcing her to move in with her parents and start again. It's been described by Izzy's fellow comedian Sarah Pascoe as laugh out loud and heartwarming, words that could just as much be applied to the author herself. It's a real privilege to have Izzy on the show today and I can't wait to chat to her about all things alonement. We'll discuss how the idea of quality time relates to her novel and to her personal and professional life, including the relationship between alone time and her work as a comedian slash author. As ever, I really hope you enjoy this episode and get something from listening. Before we get to our conversation, I want to give a big shout out to this season's sponsors, Flashpack. Flashpack is a travel company for solo travellers providing boutique group adventures all around the world, from staying on a secret island in the Arctic to glamping on the Serengeti. Its adventures are targeted specifically for solo travellers in their 30s and 40s, so if you feel like you've slightly moved on from staying in hostels with gap year students on your solo trips away, then this is the holiday for you. Much like Alonement, Flashpack is a community built around the power of going solo and their trips are an opportunity to meet like-minded people who share the same independent outlook as you. 
They're on a mission to create one million meaningful friendships across the world through the power of adventure. And it sounds like it's working. 80% of Flashpackers stay in touch after returning from their trips. If this sounds good to you, head to flashpack.com slash alonement, where you'll find an exclusive offer code for all Alonement podcast listeners, giving you £100 off your dream adventure. I wonder, as someone with a comedy and acting background, how was it to have to go from something where you have so much interaction and rapport with people, whether that's on screen or in the audience, to doing something very solitary, like writing a book? It was odd at times because I am used to that feedback, I guess. With stand-up, you you do have that immediate response from the audience and you can write a new bit that day and try it out that evening sometimes even write a new bit in the dressing room 10 minutes before you go on and just try it out so it took a bit of time to get used to being alone and writing and not having anyone to test it out on so working alone wasn't as much of a change um but certainly not getting that chance to test it out on real people felt very different because my first book was the actual one was like a sort of lots of bits of stand-up and it felt a little bit easier to write to be honest and um, because there were bits of stand-up I don't think I felt that solitude like I did with the with Jane's trying. Mm, that's interesting because you had already that gratification of knowing that those bits were funny uh, whereas you know Jane is trying is very much, very much a comedy as well. There are such comic moments. And I guess, I don't know, when you're creating a world of your own imagination, I suppose it's quite hard to debut that material without like a hell of a lot of explanation to whoever you're telling about it in terms of like, okay, and this is this imaginary world of characters I've created. Yeah, it's true. Although what I really liked about writing the book actually was um, being alone with that world and feeling that it was secret um and I'd handed in the first draft just before the pandemic so I was waiting for my notes at the beginning of lockdown um and then started to try and address them and sort of couldn't you know when I got them because it was at the very beginning when everyone was kind of going what is this what's happening I find it really hard to be creative but then as time went on I was able to thankfully and I found it a lovely place to escape to that no one else knew about apart from my editor. And before I handed it in, no one knew about it apart from my literary agent. But he, you know, he hadn't seen um, the first draft. Um, at, at one point, I was just the only person who'd read this whole <laughs> first draft. And there was something really lovely about that, about kind of having all the characters to myself. I suppose, in that moment. And then I knew there would be a lot of changes and there were, but there was a sort of lovely moment where I was like, these are all mine and I'm going to kind of give them away and other people <laughs> are going to give their opinions on them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I, I love that. And I think, I, I, I love, I think what I love about novel writing is how innately, completely insane it is. You know, it's, it's really yeah. going away and creating something. Um, even 
and it's not like you know I know that you have two children but it's it's not even like pregnancy where it's very obvious to the world that you are having a baby it's like you actually have this really really big secret in your head that's so true it's sort of like the first few months of pregnancy where you don't well some people do like to tell people but um I guess most people don't until they have that three month scan and kind of know that everything's all right um there is it is a bit like that that very first bit it felt like for me where you you know something and you know depending on your circumstances you know for me it was very uh, you know exciting and nervous time knowing that you're pregnant and kind of hoping hoping for the best and it's a bit you know it is similar I suppose in some ways to that that beginning to create something that tentative those tentative first steps um, and not knowing if it will end up being a book and hoping it will and um, yeah Mm. which is which is actually a really wonderful way to uh, go into the themes of your book because obviously your main (laughs) character Jane is is pregnant in the book Um, but I before that I wanted to ask you the question that I ask pretty much every guest on this show because I always get such brilliantly distinctive telling answers what does the word alone mean to you I think it has two meanings for me really so there's it's like two sides of the same of the alone coin if you will um so I guess the good side of it is I I do really like time on my own um and I yearn for it and I think I get quite when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at bluenile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Exhausted with chatting if it doesn't feel like it um sparks kind of deep interest for me so yeah if I if for example if I'm doing a train journey and I see someone I know my heart will either rise or sink and it's not to do with them as a person it's just literally that there's just an instinctive feeling about oh I I really want this time I really wanted to knit or I really wanted to daydream I didn't really want to chat. I'm just not in that mode. Whereas if it's somehow the right person, it, it doesn't matter. I know I'm going to be energised by the chat. So I have to be quite careful, I think, to put in alone time for myself where I can just potter around and daydream. And um, I like watching stuff on my own as well. Um, and I love knitting. And I sometimes think that the way that creative process works for me and for a lot of others, I guess, is that you have to sort of have that space 
for things to evolve and that when the diary is really packed and when I'm with other people all the time it sometimes feels like that part of me can't really breathe properly and perhaps can't flower um the other side of the coin is I don't like too much time on my own so yeah I couldn't ever live on my own I don't think I never have um and that definitely suits some people a lot of my friends and I've always found it very hard to be out of a relationship so there was a period of about a year where I was engaged and then we broke up before I met my partner and even though I had that year of being single and it was sort of unexpected because I was going to get married and um, then I was living in a different house and I sort of made sure I wasn't alone by surrounding myself with loads of friends and having a few little flings and there was kind of always something on the cards not necessarily romantic but like maybe a, a holiday with a friend or I think I like having things to plan um so I alone time is really really important to me but the right alone time and not too much of it <laughs> you know part of me just wants to ask you all about knitting because I just <laughs> I adore that you do that yeah I find it so relaxing so with my first book I used to I'm quite um anal about like reaching a certain word count um so I try and do a thousand words a day when I'm writing I don't know about you do you do you do that too I didn't have that discipline necessarily but then I was literally writing my whole book in lockdown so there was nothing else to do really yes, you were like I'm gonna write 50,000 words today <laughs> oh god no but it was either it was either not writing it was either writing or regretting not writing there was literally no yeah. other option maybe I should have taken up knitting well I used to do um well done by the way because I think it was really hard to do creative things in lockdown I think there's a lot of pressure of like you've got all this time you, mu- <laughs> you must use it to but it wasn't like that was it our brains no. were kind of were trying to make sense of everything um with knit so with the first book I hadn't started knitting then um I used to r- write for 45 minutes then play Pac-Man on my computer for 15 minutes so that would make an hour um and then I just started knitting and that took the place of Pac-Man. So with um, with Jane's trying, I would often write for a certain amount of time, usually 40 or 45 minutes, and then knit two rows or knit for 10 minutes. And it was a really lovely way of... And I think also somehow when you're knitting, your brain problem solves um, plot issues or realises something about a character. Because I think you're still doing something creative, but you're following... There's something very lovely about following a knitting pattern. So there's no free choice with knitting. You've just got to follow the pattern, but it's still creative. So I think that part of your brain is kind of fueled by the knitting and does carry on working on the the book without you really mm. knowing it. Mm. It's Yeah, it's a good activity in a way. Same, same as Pac-Man because it's got that mindlessness yeah. to it, but it's not the as repetition. immersive as something like social media, which completely just take away any creativity that's true i mean social media is the ultimate i think in a way social media tells you that you're not alone but it can highlight the fact that you're even more alone so it's a a kind of oxymoron like i think with knitting and with pac-man it's it's a solitary activity and there's something when you're creating something like a book i think it's really lovely to have something like that which is complete downtime but that doesn't connect you with other people in a way that will just disrupt your burst the bubble really that you're in or disrupt your train of thought too much Mm, mm. yeah I think uh it sounds like a really useful practice 
I do wonder though, I think, I mean, Pac-Man's a pretty old school video game and obviously knitting is a little bit further back in the past. What happens with book three? Do you start yeah. <laughs> prehistoric <laughs> you, games? Yeah, exactly. I'm going further back. <laughs> I have to get like a ball and a, what did kids used to play with? Like a hoop and a stick, didn't they? <laughs> used to like Hopscotch outside or something. Hopscotch, I'll be outside. <laughs> Oh, I love that. You spoke about having to break off an engagement. Your character, Jane, is in a state where she's starting her life again in her 30s. And yeah, having to, you know, basically break it off with a long term partner and move somewhere completely different and make all those brave decisions by herself. I wonder to what extent that might have felt semi-autobiographical about that year where you felt, as you've said, sort of lost, sort of you know, struggling there. Because I do also notice that you've named your main character Jane and that is your middle name. So I'm assuming it's to some extent at least semi-autobiographical. Um, actually, that element of it isn't really. Um, I, I couldn't genuinely just couldn't think of a name for the character. And then I thought the word Jane popped into my head because I've always sorry to any Janes out there, I've sort of said, oh, Jane is such a kind of plain middle name. And as time has gone on, I've been like, no, it's lovely. And I've got <laughs> a really good friend called Jane who I wouldn't have by any other name. Sorry, um, Jane. <laughs> yeah. I think sometimes it, um, people sort of, because it's, it's your middle name, you're allowed to kind of go, my middle name. But then I thought, no, that's actually, that's a perfect name for her. Because I wanted something that was quite a blank canvas in a way that didn't say much. Um, in terms of the element of my of no, not really. I, I suppose that bit of it, it doesn't feel. Um, the guy who I was with was really nice. It just didn't work out. He didn't cheat on me. Um, whereas with Jane, um, that's the reason really that she's called it off. Um, I suppose the same feelings of like definitely the feeling of like I felt my life was going one way and then it suddenly wasn't, but. I didn't, I just moved into a different house in London and actually, because I knew it was the right thing to call it off, I felt like I'd ha I had a second go at almost being a teenager. It was like, oh, I'm not living in the house. I haven't bought a house. Oh, I'm not getting married. Oh, okay. Um, and I was living in a, a house full of actors and there were lots of different musicians who came in and one of the actors went out with this violinist Um who who used to wake up in the morning at like seven in the morning and serenade us all with I was just like wow it's like I'm living in a weird <laughs> film like what um, it's really cool um and so in that respect I think I had the same feeling of like wow I'm starting over but luckily for me it, I was surrounded by people I really loved whereas I think for Jane she moves back home and is kind of in this situation where she's molly coddled by her parents and is going feels like she's going backwards doesn't she she's back in her childhood bedrooms and she's kind of her bedroom um and she's been a bit snobby about her hometown and then is suddenly like oh god i'm living back here i haven't got a job i haven't got any money um there are some similarities between me and jane like i'm quite an anxious person i don't have it as bad as she does i kind of feel sorry for jane in a way because i really plunged her into I wanted to create as much jeopardy as possible. So I gave her this mammoth fear of hospitals and she has to go into them. And um, 
but it was really fun to write about anxiety in and you know the stuff that I sometimes feel and I'm a lot better than I used to be but I used to really worry about my health whenever I was stressed it was like that was my kind of go-to thing I was I now know that if I start worrying about it I'm like let's zoom out what's happening like why are you um and I think in a way the pandemic has kind of made us all more aware of our own mental health stuff so it was quite interesting writing it right doing the rewrites in covid because it was like oh a lot more people are talking about you know anxiety around stuff like this and so it was it was lovely really to be able to write about it but um use some of the stuff that i've felt um but also make it far away enough that it felt like a different character comedy is i think a nice means to do that because i think some people people who aren't as accomplished comedy writers anyway as yourself would think okay I don't want to trivialize it you know it's got to be dealt with in this heavy manner but I think comedy at at its best it manages to talk about those difficult topics um, because your character does suffer from OCD doesn't she like particularly with a way that's you know both sympathetic but also but also kind of inviting and and allowing people to access it in a different way. Yeah, like it was really fun doing that. Like I think I think I I trust my instincts and I felt that she just talked to the reader about everything that was going on in her head, everything that she felt about Jonathan, her ex, and how she feels about Robbie, this guy she meets up there, um, from who she's been at school with but hasn't seen for a long time and I wanted the reader to feel really like they were kind of in in Jane's head and kind of living alongside her and feeling everything with her so it felt completely natural for her to just share absolutely everything with them and I feel similarly to you I think for me there are a few topics that I find it really difficult to listen to comedy about which would probably be you know quite obvious and sort of um, difficult things um, most people to listen to jokes about but I think on the whole most topics um can can be written about in comedy I think the key thing is that that the joke I think if it's something that feels sensitive it's worth looking at whether the joke is kind of about whether you're punching down or punching up I guess so you know should never really be making fun of a, a general situation I think if it's about a character or if it's about you as the comic you can often talk about it in a funny and really kind of sensitive way that that can make an audience think about things in a different way or make them feel included so I've got to the point where I do trust my instincts with that now and then you know some people do I think go too far but it's um that's why comedy is what it is there are you know it's an interesting there's no one policing it so you have to look at your own conscience I think so you do you have learned to trust that gut yeah I think feeling. as time's gone on like I think at the beginning when you start stand up you're just you should really be allowed to make mistakes and experiment with who you are on stage because you're having to do so many things at once you're having to learn how to talk into a mic and to to kind of you're having to learn who you are on stage and what you want to talk about and at the beginning you're just saying anything that could get a laugh you just can't believe you're standing on stage kind of um and um and then I think it takes years and years really to work out who you are and 
whether you whether you want to say stuff that has a deeper resonance or whether you want to just do one-liners or you know someone like tim vine does really really funny one-liners and silly jokes and they're fantastic whereas i guess you know someone like sarah pascoe does stuff that has a much deeper emotional meaning for her and bridget christie as well will kind of talk about stuff that's very close to their hearts and that just takes years and years of working out the best kind of clown for you i guess i think i found it easier to write the novel because of writing stand-up for so long so sometimes i think people have a thing around comics getting book deals and writing novels and it's kind of oh you know they've got that because of their profile i'm not saying people necessarily said it about me but i you sort of hear that now and again like oh great you know they're and i do sometimes think perhaps they didn't put enough effort into that or you know but i think generally stand up is writing it's just that you're you're saying it on stage you know the vast majority of stand ups in this country don't have writers i think in america they do a bit more sometimes when comics get their own tv show over here they have to have writers because they have to churn out so much new material but generally we write you know we work really really hard um and we write all the stuff it's just that we say it so i think it's different from say someone from big brother writing a kid's book and you know going on a book tour and being like okay i have never written a word before but here we go i I kind of get that you'd go well why have you (laughs) that's just blatantly because you've got a big profile but you know look at people like mark watson who writes amazing novels and it's no wonder because he's been writing for decades just in a slightly different format so yeah i don't know i think maybe it's one of those things because it looks so effortless on stage i think there's still this almost kind of not thought through thing that many people have that's like oh yeah comics just walk up on stage and say stuff and you know which is so not the case there's such a craft and such a writing process behind it uh in in a slightly different vein but I had uh the comedian John Robbins on the show who I know is a friend of yours and he was saying it's so funny that people often think that hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Comedians are sort of living out their therapy on stage. Because yeah. he's like, look, I've dealt with the thing. I've sat and crafted it. I've written about it. I've performed a load of gigs. I'm done. Like I've, yes. I've, I've, I've overcome it through that process. This is the, this is a finished product and just a reflection of that, but God, this isn't my therapy. Yes. Yes. That's true. I think, yeah. Um, people, I, I suppose people shouldn't see the craft. That's the, but yes, it, you know, we will labor over a single line and remove one word, then put it back in, then try it in a slightly different order and that's why previews of our long shows are so important because sometimes it's an absolute mess and you change the order around and then sometimes you're just deliberating over this one bit it's like solving a puzzle not that different from rewrites you know um it's just in a different way but yeah as you say it does look like we just stroll up there like hey i'm just going to talk about this thing that's just <laughs> popped into my head but that's just the you know um acting essentially i suppose it's like you tap into a bit of yourself that it is different from acting really actually um it's to do with finding a, a kind of space that you're comfortable in on stage within yourself where everything looks like it's occurring to you and you find a way of making it fresh every time and you may tweak it in the moment but you're following the same route that you've followed many times so you stick with the rhythm of it that's why it takes so long to get good at it, I think, because it is an odd, it's an odd thing to do. Yeah. We are all a bit odd. <laughs> I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> I think yes. comedy is just being able to bring that to stage. And yeah. it, it's interesting, I guess, also that process probably more early on in the comedy journey where you are almost having a sense of self-affirmation on stage, working out, I, I like how you phrased it, you know, which which clown you are, but, you know, also just effectively it is working out who you are as a person or at least who you are able to express publicly yeah as a person yeah it's true you can say things that surprise yourself and it's not you but it's like you've just panicked and wanted to get a laugh and then you can feel really ashamed like you can think I would never say something like that in real life why did I say that thing about my dad or why did I you know just to get a laugh I think you have to be really kind to yourself in the early days of doing comedy because it's really hard not it's not hard for the reasons that people think I don't think people say just how can you get up there and it must be so awful to die on stage but in a way dying 
on stage is it, well not just in a way like dying is an extremely important part of the learning curve and you should have on stage deaths when you're starting out because you're it's complete trial and error and that's really the only way that you learn what you should be doing it's hard to bear at the time because it's just it feels mammoth but it goes really quickly and then your brain starts dissecting why it went wrong and whether it was your fault or not sometimes the room's not right especially with those early gigs you do get situations where the mic just isn't working properly or the lighting's terrible there's only three people in the audience they're not facing the right way they're serving food while you're on there are lots of things like that that mean that you're fighting such a losing battle if you sent on a really seasoned comic they'd probably be able to kind of turn it round but only because of experience so yeah it's it's it is an odd thing it's um it's just addictive you either you either get addicted to kind of, as I say, like solving the puzzle. You want to you wanna solve the puzzle of why it didn't work. So I think when people are scared of doing stand-up, it's because they think they wouldn't be able to bear the humiliation of dying. That I think that's everyone's fear, that standing on stage, hearing your own voice, becoming tinnier and tinnier as no one laughs and even getting booed off, which I've been booed off. Most comics have, you know, it's not unusual, but they're the stories that people always want to ask about. And in interviews, it's like worst gig. People are never asking about best gig. It's not as interesting, is it? It's like no one wants to read a book about someone who has a great relationship, gets married and goes off into the sunset, maybe at the end, but you have to have seen them really struggle. So it's like um, people are fascinated with how you survive the humiliation of dying but you do survive and then you you realize how important those those failures are and because otherwise you can't just always have great gigs you would even someone with really broad appeal like i guess michael mcintyre will have had gigs that he's really struggled at because that's his clown what he does it happens to be mainstream but he will have struggled. He will have done new material that didn't work. And and those things are really, really important. And they build up your armour, I think. Sort of want to clip this segment of the podcast out and send it to anyone I know who's doing comedy. And <laughs> it's a beautiful, beautiful yeah. manifesto for it. <laughs> the idea of... I don't know. I think the idea of the happy ending in novels and the idea of... I've noticed really interesting trends, to be honest, in novels more recently, and yours very much fulfills this, where the character at the end pursues a kind of solitude in some form, whether that's living alone or being single, or in the case of your book, uh, your protagonist, Jane, she makes the decision to be a solo parent even though she you know she has the option not to but she decides that she'd rather do that rather than be back with her cheating boyfriend or be back in a situation where she just doesn't feel comfortable anymore do you think that it's important that we have those experiences conveyed through heroines yeah I mean I know what you mean. Like, I felt like with my book, I was, I knew I didn't want her to get back with Jonathan. And I didn't, I didn't think I wanted her to get together with Robbie, who I guess is the kind of other love interest, isn't he? Um, 
I knew in my head that I wanted her to reach some kind of peace, but I didn't quite know how when I when I started writing it. Um, yeah, I do think it's important. And I wonder if it's just because society's changing. I don't think you would have got as many books finishing like that in like the 50s or 60s because it was just different, wasn't it? There were different expectations of women and men and they had different roles in society and everything's changed. I think there were a lot of different options for people. So maybe that's just reflected in in the way that books are written. I think the most important thing for me is that there's a definite ending to a novel. The times that I feel disappointed are when it's ambiguous. So I think even if even if it's an ending that I don't agree with, i.e. I would have written it differently, or if I was the protagonist, I would have done something different. I think that's fine, as long as you go, that's how the writer wanted to end it. I think the times that I struggle are when it's like, they looked out at the sea, and then you think, it's missing a bit. I want to know. It's like you want the kind of the last bit. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the most important thing to me, that there's a definite ending or a will. You see their will. You need to see, even if they're looking out at the sea, you need to see their will, where they're going, that they've changed, I suppose. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, there are more and more people not having kids there are more and more people you know living alone and and not in relationships compared to how they used to be so I suppose it's inevitable that that's reflected and it's probably a more exciting time to be a writer than it was when you were railing against the expectations of of society I think that's wonderful and I think it's I always think you can't be what you can't see and we do need to you know, even if it's a trend and it does seem like all the novels, and maybe this is, you know, this is an echo chamber of my own making, but even with, when I haven't been expecting it, all the novels, all the sort of Netflix, um, Netflix originals, Amazon, yeah. Amazon originals, comedy, rom-coms I've been watching recently do sort of end with not everyone <laughs> ends up <laughs> having that romantic happily ever after. Uh, you know, it's like the opposite to the Jane Austen narrative yeah. where everyone needs to get married and even Bridget Jones you know if you it wasn't really that long ago I know there have been more Bridget Joneses I haven't seen the most up-to-date one but think about the original Bridget Jones book and film it was just expected that you that, that people would end up in a couple you mm. know um and four weddings and a funeral and all that you know it was just expected I think so things have changed. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this is, you know, I suppose quite a personal thing to say, but I I look at your relationship, for instance, with Ellis, and, you know, I know that it's, uh, you know, it's unconventional in the sense that you were the one to propose, which I always think is really brilliant when I hear of that because it's just so archaic that it, it's always yeah. one way around. You know, the fact that you both have these, you're both, you know, very high-profile comedians with these amazing careers, Um and I think that almost being able to see those examples as well uh, is really important because ultimately if someone is able to say, I don't want to be single forever, it, I don't know, I suppose there's maybe an element that you want it also to be valid that you can be not not single forever, but not but solo forever, that you can be independent and have it all, kind of yeah. have, not have it all, but have both. 
Yes, I do. Yeah. It's... We are, do still lead quite independent lives in a way. And we're not married still. And I sort of can't be bothered to plan the wedding. But I know that we should get married for tax reasons. Like that, <laughs> yeah, that honesty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just feel really happy as we are. And I sort of don't want to... The bit of me doesn't really want to get married. It's kind of like... I just still want to feel like me and I know I will be and stuff. I won't change my name or, but tax reasons is a bit bleak. It's not really that we've just been, because we're about to buy a house. They were like, you just should be married. It would make everything easier. It's like, yeah, well. we know. I don't want people to think I'm trying to get out of paying tax. It's just, it is sort of like, it feels like the way things will go as we get older is that we will get married. Like, yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. I still sometimes feel like we're the two stand-ups who met at a gig in Barnstable 11 years ago, 12 years ago, actually. Um, and we, it's just been really important to me always that we, that we have our own lives, I guess. And it seems to work. Ellis really, really does love solitude. And he, he honestly wouldn't notice if I went away for weeks, apart from the fact that, it would be harder to look after the kids on his own. And he does <laughs> do it, you know, half the childcare and stuff. And yeah. But um, apart from that, if we had his mum staying here looking after the kids or something, he genuinely wouldn't, wouldn't notice this if I wasn't here. Not in a kind of, he needs me, but he is so happy in his own company. It's like he... He loves reading. He loves being on his own. And I can see him in social situations sometimes just, he just wants to be on his own. And my dad was a bit like that. Um, and over the years, I've become more used to it. I think at the beginning, I sort of ask, you know, let's watch something together and let's, and we do do that a bit. But what's happened now is that I've retained such incredibly strong friendships because he isn't always saying, hey, let's go here. Let's have these people for dinner. Let's, he's just like, go out. I want to read my book. <laughs> um, and I've got such, such incredible friends, you know, a handful of women that when I'm with them, I genuinely feel like I'm a plant that's being watered or something. It's like I'm eating superfood just by being with them. Um, I feel really lucky, actually, that I've got, I've almost retained, um, I've retained the, the, the strength of friendship from that I've had since my 20s in my life. And it hasn't kind of fallen by the wayside because I've gone into a couple and had kids. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with someone who likes to be alone probably 90% of the time. I'm not joking. Uh, wow I mean I need to I need to learn from him I think I think you need to have him on this <laughs> but I love that and I think that maybe that's an aspect of having it all that doesn't really get factored in when we talk about it the having the friendships too because certainly if you well actually it's not you know it's not just exclusively if you remain single into your late 20s but I think it can happen or even if you know you just like having a balanced life yeah. friendship becomes so much more important than I think we even societally can give it credit for anymore although that is changing and the idea that 
being in a relationship which allows solitude but also allows friendship and freedom is I think that's aspirational in itself yeah it so depends what you want doesn't it like there are definitely some couples who do need a high level of interaction with each other and that's great you know and then I think it takes time to get used to the rhythm of each other and what each other needs and how that changes from the beginning going forwards because when you get together you often you know are inseparable and you're kind of drinking each other in you want to be together the whole time and then it settles after a little while into the sort of real rhythm I guess um and I think that's where it's kind of more interesting I think it's also to do with the person being correct for you so a guy who I went out with not the guy I was engaged to but a guy I went out with for years um in my 20s he liked a lot of time on his own as well and that and I always felt there was an imbalance in our relationship and that I wanted to be with him more than he wanted to be with me. And that was probably true, actually. I don't think he really wanted a girlfriend. I think he loved me, but, but he just didn't need to spend as much time with me as I did with him. And with Ellis, it, he doesn't need very much time with anyone, but it suits me, I guess, because I feel very grounded in the relationship and I feel completely secure with him and we've had children which changes stuff and you're very preoccupied with the kids but before that I felt just very a very deep connection to him that I suppose then allows me to to go off and be with lots and lots of my friends and and work and and stuff and Mm. um, feel very secure within the relationship yeah is that is that rootedness I think that allows you to thrive and makes it an opportunity rather than something that always makes you fixate on that yeah that you're kind of yeah exactly you're enjoying your I suppose it's glass half full glass half empty isn't it if someone says you've got four hours on your own what are you going to do I guess you cannot and you can't really control how you're going to feel you either feel like great I'm going to go and look at that museum on my own and I can spend you know, half an hour looking at a vase and no one's going to ask me to go for a coffee. Amazing. Or you might think, oh God, I really don't want to be on my own. I don't know what to do. I don't want to do anything. I don't feel like going out. So I think it's so dependent on where you are in your life and who the other person is who says, do you know what? I want a bit of time on my own. Mm. Um, I have to say, I think at the root of most things is kindness. So I think with Alice, he's extremely kind. And that was one of the first things that made me go oh you're so great and I think as I've got older kindness has been the main thing that I've looked for in relationships and in friendships Hmm. my kindness is so sexy I (laughs) I always think of and this is such a weird person to be quoting and and possibly you know a a strange a strange one but I always think uh Meghan Markle's line about when she met Prince Harry was or before they met she said to her friend is he kind because if he isn't kind then it's just not going to work yeah that's so telling isn't it yeah Yeah, um, such a fundamental thing 
Yeah, you know, I think whether whether or not you see Harry and Meghan as your relationship role models, um, I think that you know maybe now we can we can we can see we can I'm going to project that onto you. I'm always going to think, well, Izzy Susie said that, so uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people will see them as their relationship role models. I think they're doing well. They've got chickens. They've got chickens. I've seen their I've seen their interview with Oprah. They've got chickens. <laughs> I mean, they've got kids, but they've got chickens. That's yeah. a truly bonding force, uh, right? Absolutely. Everyone's just got to get chickens. <laughs> Yeah. And I, you know what? I think that's nice. I think thank you so much for expressing that perspective as well, because I know a lot of people, well, people listen to this show either because they come from my school of thought, which is an extrovert who's had to actively learn to spend time alone and had that slightly strange process, or they're natural introverts um, who, you know, have had to learn to justify that to themselves and to others so I think knowing that the uh the bonding force the sort of you know the middle ground between that can be that cohesion that comes from kindness is really is really great yeah I think that actually and now you say it like that I think Ellis is an ex is an introvert and that I'm an extrovert I do think I'm an extrovert I really the main thing that I missed in lockdown was seeing a variety of people so I often felt very alone even in a house with Elle and the two kids I felt this cloak of loneliness sometimes and it wasn't because I was physically alone it was because I wasn't seeing I wasn't seeing a a variety of people and I wasn't it's not necessarily even my good friends that I was missing it was just even walking out onto the street and saying hi to the neighbour and having a 10 minute chat about I don't know, um, her drum lesson the other day or something, you know, I, I really do did, I, I really realised how important that element of my life is and how important community is, I suppose, which sounds a bit, the word community was really overused in the pandemic, I think, and it became like a word on a lot of adverts of like, we're, you know, community, we're all in it together. And I was just a bit like, oh, by the end. But I think community in its truest sense is, is really important. And, um, what it certainly is for me so I think I'm an extrovert too mm. but I think I my mum once told me I was an introverted extrovert um I think it could all get a bit meta but I think <laughs> I have to be around people I feel really kind of energized by people mm. but then as I say if someone if I think someone's going to be on a half hour train journey with me I get gripped by this absolute terror I'm like no 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 I wanted this time on my own it's, it's so complicated isn't it <laughs> It is. It is. Uh, it's. It's a whole kind of worms, and I like that though because it certainly makes this podcast a lot richer. Yeah, of course. Or maybe it's to do with control. I wonder if I like to know when I'm. I have to see people, but on my terms. I think that mm. might be it. I don't like people suddenly going, "Hey, I'm going to be with you for the next hour." I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. I wanted to plan this time with other people. Yeah, it's. T- it, it is. It's strange, and yet. And, you know, coming back to sort of, you know, community and that that village feel, I, I think even, you know, the subheading of your book could have been like, it takes a village because it's actually yeah. gorgeous how much your character, Jane, is held by the frankly bonkers village that she moves into with her family <laughs> <laughs> and having all those incidental contacts, but they do sort of just come along. It's not... It's not like she's got, you know, 10 different appointments to to meet, like, you know, the butcher and the baker or whatever. Yeah. They, she just sort of goes along in her daily life and they come in quite naturally in a way that I think us extroverted, extroverts or us introverted extroverts were deprived of 
very much so in that pandemic. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I want, really wanted to create a world where everyone knew each other and she felt kind of suffocated by that and also supported by it at the same time. And I wanted her to be someone who would claim she, she doesn't like to lean on people, but that she can't help it because she's so bad at making decisions um, and quite childlike. It was really exciting to create a protagonist who, who wasn't always likeable and who was flawed. Um, and that was the main the main lesson that I learned through writing. It was that the protagonist shouldn't be perfect and they can be really annoying at times and they can lie to the reader and they can they can just be, I guess, human. I think sometimes protagonists can be a bit bland. It's like everything happens to them and mm. quite passive. But um, I wanted her to to really be struggling with that element of herself that mm. that has to ask others for reassurance all the time. Yeah, and I think that lovely work in progressness is embodied by the title Jane is trying. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Finally as a knitting loving uh novel writing <laughs> uh, introverted extrovert, what's your ultimate alone month? Um Tea, knitting, and married at first sight, Australia. Excellent. It was all very wartime Britain until the married yeah. at first sight. <laughs> Just mix it up a bit. Um, yeah. Thank you, Wizzy. I've had such a great time speaking to you, and I can't wait to share this. <laughs> Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening. I really enjoyed that chat. My favourite kinds of conversation, funny and profound all at once. I'm still a hardcore Peep Show fan, but now I think I'm just as much of a hardcore fan of Izzy Susie too. Do go ahead and share with any friends who you think will enjoy listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.